Well, good morning again. Thank you, Wayne and Carrie. And I just love the, as we think about Advent and leading up to Advent, that these candles remind us and represent us. Represent. Last week we talked about hope, today about peace, and we'll continue in the weeks to come that this is what Jesus has done. This is what the Christmas season is about, is pointing and looking to Jesus as our great hope. Well, um, again, good morning. If you're watching us online this morning, welcome. Glad you're virtually in the room with us. For those of you that are physically in the room, good morning. We're so glad to be together. And, um, and we come together not because of us, but we come together because of Jesus. And that's our hope and prayer this morning. It's not about us. It's about God. And we want to look to him this morning and fix our eyes on him. And so um, if you're here in the room, uh, just I, I encourage you as we open God's Word to engage with that. If you're watching online, comment, engage, ask questions, let us know you're here, and all of that. So as we near Christmas, and you can, if you're in the room, you can tell somebody next to you. If you're online, you can comment. What is something that you just love about Christmas? Or, sadly, this year, what is something you're like, I will really miss that about Christmas? Maybe it's like being with other people, all those kind of things, whatever it is, you can comment, let us know. What's something that you either love about Christmas or that you are just going to miss about Christmas this year? And so as we move into this series, we're in week two of our Advent series called A Thrill of Hope. All right, you can raise your hand on this because I've got my hand up. Who feels tired and weary like kind of like deep down, like more than just I need a nap, right? It's an understatement that this has been a little bit of a crazy year and most of us are tired. We're mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally just worn out. And we kind of make jokes about, oh, 2020, it's still, it's just, that's a very 2020 thing to happen, whatever. And yet the reality is it's been hard. And for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, it's been difficult. So when we think about Advent, it's in the middle of that weariness and that tiredness that the Advent season comes. Because Advent is a time to remember that Jesus has come as a thrill of hope into our weary world, a world that's filled with pain and struggle and fear and anxiety and brokenness and sin. We know it all too well all around us. Yet Advent tells us that we are not left on our own. God's people waited for Jesus. They waited for the Messiah. And he came. And for us today, we look back and remember that Jesus came, fulfilled his promises, and yet we look ahead to a future hope that Christ will come again, that God fulfills his promises. And we're reminded that in our waiting, God has been and will be faithful. So Advent, we rejoice in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, and in the midst of difficulty in our lives, we rejoice. Christ has come, a thrill of hope. And as we go through this whole Advent series, you're going to hear us say over and over again, the main idea is this, is that Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. And that's good news for us and for the people around us. All right, this morning, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 27. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can read along on the screen. If you want a Bible, we would be happy to give you one, um, and, uh, but you can follow along on the screen. So we're going to read this here in a moment, um, and you're going to, maybe as you're thinking about Christmas and Advent, this really isn't a Christmas or Advent-like 
passage on the surface, but we'll get to why we chose this today. And so this psalm is written by David. This is the same David who fought Goliath, who was the king of Israel. Um, there is a, I want you to see as we read, there's a kind of a corporate or like community aspect to this psalm. It was written for the purpose of being recited or sung as a group, as a way of encouraging one another and reminding one another of God's greatness and God's protection and God's faithfulness. So as we read, you'll see that David was facing enemies from without and as well as struggles from within. And yet all along the way, his confidence is in the Lord. We're going to see as we go, that's what the things we're going to see as we read through Psalm 27. So let's read together Psalm 27. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, it's not super long, so track along with us as we read. Here's what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray again as we prepare to dig into this this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we need you to speak to our hearts. We ask that you would help us to understand what you're speaking and that our hearts would be ready to, um, to obey. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and reminded this morning of who you are and your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We think about this idea of waiting, right? No one really likes waiting. We don't like waiting in line. We don't like waiting for pizza to be delivered. We don't like waiting for the next season of your favorite show. Like, and waiting for Christmas is hard. Like in our house, we have multiple countdowns and Advent books like our younger kids they think Christmas is just like forever away, even though it's like super close. Like as you get older, it's like, oh yeah, it's like right around the corner, right? Um, because waiting is hard. So we have to create like countdowns and all that kind of thing. That's kind of the point of Advent. It reminds us of the waiting. As we already, I already kind of said a moment ago, for hundreds of years, God's people waited for the Messiah to come. Generation after generation. And some thought that God had forgotten them or abandoned them, and some thought it would never happen. But we know the story. When we read through the New Testament, Jesus came, the Messiah was born. And so we celebrate Christmas as the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue this broken world. 
So as we look at Psalm 27, we see struggle and pressure in David's life. When we think back over our lives this year or even before, we know that too. But in the, mid, in the middle of all that, what does David say? David says, wait for the Lord. Look at verse 14 again, because this kind of sets this whole thing up. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so we say, okay, David, what does that mean? How? How do I wait? What does that mean? What do I do? And that's what I want to get into this morning. We think about Advent, that it's a season of remembering, of waiting. We think about our own lives and the struggles and the difficulties we face. And, we face, and David says, wait for the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? What do we do? Like A lot of us like to do things. Make a list, check it twice. That's Santa, not me, right? We like to make a list, and I have lists for my lists. I have like a master list that leads my other lists. So that, but maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't have that. Um, maybe the opposite. But often we want to know, okay, but what do I do? That's what we're going to get into this morning. But here's our issue, right? Because when our world is shaken, when we face difficulty, we are tempted to lose hope. We're tempted to give up, to despair. Maybe that's where you are today. You're just tired. This past year has been hard on many of us. But I want us to look into Scripture and look at God's Word because it has something to say to you and to me today in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our waiting, in the middle of, I don't know what's next, in the middle of, God, what are you doing in my life? God has something to say to us today. So here's our main idea this morning. When everything is shaken, be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. When everything is shaken, be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. All right, three things we want to look at. How do we wait on the Lord? And I think David gives us some, some good things here to see. The three things we want to see. We find confidence in the strength of the Lord, find peace in the presence of the Lord, and find comfort in the help of the Lord. So we're going to break these down and, and get into these. So the first point, find confidence in the strength of the Lord. And this comes from verses 1 through 3 as we walk through this passage. Is that more? I think that's me. Let's try this. There we go. So David's confidence, everyone's awake now, you kind of like were, okay. David's confidence was in the Lord. He asked the question, right? He says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? See the, the, the contrast here. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. That's the thing, my refuge, the place I hide, the place I find strength. And so David is saying, whom shall I fear? Essentially, he's saying, why would I look anywhere else? Why would I run to other things? Because God is my source of refuge, my source of strength. And so instead of questioning God, David is questioning the situation. Right? For us, in the pressure and the difficulty of life, we often question God and believe that the current reality is too much for God. So we question God and not the situation. But David flips it up upside down. He says, why do I need to be afraid of this? Why do I need to fear that? God is the one who is my confidence and my salvation. But like David, we can look at the situations in our life and say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? If the Lord is with me, why am I afraid of this or that? And it's this in invitation to us to question the situation, not God. We don't question Him because He is faithful, He is good, and we can look at the situation and say, okay, 
of whom shall I be afraid? Because God is my strength. And we see this. David was facing real physical enemies. Look at verse 2. It's kind of weird language. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. We're like, whoa, what's happening here? He's not talking about cannibals. He's, it's poetry, right? He's giving us his image of like wild animals just coming and attacking, coming after him. Right? And so for you and I, we might not be facing literal armies and physical enemies. Most likely we're not, right? But we know exactly what he means here. We know exactly the, the discouragement, the fear, the oppression, financial pressure, sickness, grief. These things can come and it feels like wild animals attacking us day in and day out. We know what that feels like. But it's in the middle of that that David in verse 3 says, Though an army... In camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David, you're crazy. What are you talking about? David's saying, hey, an entire army could come against me. Even then, I will be confident. I will not fear. Why? How can he say that? This language of even though, it's, it's as if he's saying, even if everything falls apart, my strength, my refuge is in the Lord. In a hopeless situation, David finds confidence in the strength of the Lord. He has found a place of refuge that we so often miss, right? David's playing chess and we're playing checkers here. David's like, he's on another level of understanding that even if everything falls apart, God doesn't change. I find my hope in him. God is inviting us into that place. That when the big things and the small things kind of swirl around us and everything's going on, that we can say, okay, this isn't great, this isn't fun, but my refuge is in the Lord. My strength is in Him. This is how David is waiting on the Lord. He's finding his confidence in God's strength rather than his own. He's recognizing God's power and victory over his situation. David is not foolish. He's not saying, oh, this stuff doesn't matter. There's an army going to attack me. He says, no, this is, it's real. It's a reality. But he says, God, you are my strength. And why can he say, even if? Why can he say, though, though an army encamp against me? Because David knows that even if I lose my life, God is faithful. Even if everything falls apart, God is faithful. When everything is shaken, be strong. Take courage and wait for the Lord. David shows us that we can find our strength, sorry, that we can find our confidence in the strength of the Lord. Secondly, David shows us that we can find our peace in the presence of the Lord. We move into this next section here in verses 4 through 6, and we continue to see how David is leading us to wait on the Lord. What do we do while we wait? Sometimes I think about life before smartphones. Like, what did we do when we waited in line? before smartphones. I don't know. We just kind of stood there, I guess, and looked around. Or maybe we had like a newspaper. I don't know. But we don't know how to, I don't, I'll speak personally. I don't know how to wait very well anymore, right? Um, but let's see what David does. He finds peace in the presence of the Lord. So in the middle of this attack and this turmoil and all of this, David says, David's one desire is to be in the presence of the Lord. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David is longing to be in God's presence. He is seeking after, desiring after, to just to be in God's presence, to be near him, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
Verse 5, he shows us, he says, for he will, he's talking about God, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. This is why David can have confidence against an entire army, because God is his refuge, his shelter. Let me move to verse 6, though, because I want us to see this peace in God's presence. In verse 6, he says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. What is happening with David? David is worshiping God. David has enemies attacking. He's got pressure. And yet in the middle of that, he pursues the presence of God and he worships God. He says, I just need to be with God. I just need to be in God's presence. I need to fix my eyes on him. He's surrounded by enemies and pressures all around. And in the middle of that, he worships God. I want us to hear this today, that there is peace in God's presence. When we get our eyes off of everything that's around us and going on, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, our perspective changes. And I promise you, I don't always do this well, but this is a daily thing for me that I have to consciously say, I need to stop worrying about all these little things going on. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to seek him. I need to worship him. I've said this over and over because it's one of my favorite songs. This old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. David didn't write that, but that's what he's saying here. He's saying, when I fix my eyes on the Lord, when I look at God, when I'm in his presence, that other stuff just kind of dissipates because I am just captured with the greatness of God. And I see that he is greater and more than anything else around me. Have you ever tried to hold your breath underwater for a long time? Right? You ever done that? Like when I was a kid, we'd like, okay, you swim from this side of the pool to this side of the pool and you hold your breath and you do it and you're like, you're like, you know, okay. So if you just imagine that you're trying to stay underwater probably longer than you should, like it's not a good idea. Yet when you get your head above water again, it's good. You breathe fresh air. It's a good thing. You're like, okay, good, right? This is what worship is in our waiting. It's fresh air. It's getting above our situation. Worship or Let me define that a little bit. Turning our full attention to God and all of his greatness and his power. Worship changes our perspective. That instead of drowning in our situation, we dwell in his presence. Worship leads us to remember that he is sovereign. He is powerful. He's in control. He is above all of it. All the stuff that so quickly consumes our life the small things that just become life or death, massive situations, and maybe they are or maybe they're not, but all of those things, when we fix our eyes on the Lord, we find a greater strength. And there are all kinds of ways to worship. Stillness, prayer, go for a walk, music, whatever it is, when we truly get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our situation, when we pursue the presence of the Lord, we find peace. And often it's peace that doesn't make sense. It's peace that's, God, I found peace with you. And this doesn't make sense because my situation hasn't changed. But when we pursue his presence, we find peace in the middle of that. So how do we, lay, how do we wait on the Lord? That's the question. What do we do? We worship. We fix our eyes on Jesus. 
we be still and listen for his voice. We pursue his presence. And David shows us that here. He says, hey, there's armies. God, I just want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. And I would say that um, some, it's, it's an ongoing thing in our lives, but I would say that there should be moments every day where we just stop and put our attention on the Lord, remembering who he is, worshiping him, saying, God, I just want to be near to you. There's peace in the presence of the Lord, so run there, seek after him. Thirdly, we find comfort in the help of the Lord. As we wait on the Lord, we can find comfort knowing that he is our helper. Verses 7 through 12, there's a little bit of a shift and David actually starts to pray and talk to God. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer me. David is praying in verses 8 and 9. God has called his people to seek his face. And the word seek in, in verse um, 8 is, is addressed to a group. And I think it's such, such an important thing for us to see. This is not an individual, individualistic psalm. It is to a group of people. And God says to them and God says to us, seek my face. That as his people, we together seek his face. David's heart resonates with that. And he says, yes. We want to seek your face. Your face, O oh Lord, do I seek. God, we want to be near you. And as, as David continues in these verses 7 through 12, as he interacts with God, he says, hey, he says, God, don't turn away your servant in anger. He says, oh, you who have been my help, God, don't forsake me. Don't abandon me. Don't forget me. These are real emotions that David's feeling. I know them. You know them. We've all had those moments when we said, God, where are you? What are you doing? God, don't forget about me. Don't forsake me. And we're tempted in our own humans to say, God, hey, did you forget? <laughs> I'm here, right? And that's what David is feeling. That's what David is facing. He's saying, oh God, don't forsake me. Don't forget me. Don't cast me off. We look at verse 10 and it's a little bit strange. Verse 10 says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in. And as I studied this week, the situation here is unclear. Like it's not clear what was going on in this with David, right? It could be that this was, that David's parents have died. And so it's in a sense, it's a poetic thing that they didn't like choose to say, David, we forsake you. But it's in that sense of like, my parents died and up and left me and I'm on my own, on my own now. It could be that. Um, it could just be a more poetic way of David saying, even if everything is gone, even if everyone forsakes me, even if everyone rejects me, he says, the Lord will take me in. We need to hear that because we need to see that if everything is taken away, and this is hard. Like we don't, this is not a normal thing for us to be like, oh, let's just sit about, sit and think about everything in our life being stripped away. That's not a fun thing, right? But there's hope in there. There's hope in that because if everything is taken away, if those closest to you reject you or desert you, if all seems lost, the Lord will take you in. David's trying to tell us, Christ is enough for us. God is enough. He is what we need. Continues in verse 11, and he says, God, teach me your way. Lead me on a level path. David's basically saying, God, I need help. I don't know how to do all this. Help me. Teach me. Teach me how to walk with you. Teach me how to um, keep seeking you when all the, tr the struggle and the pain comes. He knows that he can't do this on his own ability or wisdom. 
verse 12 again, we see the enemies coming against David. He says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses rise against me. They breathe out violence. What's he saying? He says, people are telling lies about me. People are coming against me. They're attacking. They're doing all these things. David's saying, God, help. I need your comfort. I'm crying out for your help. David's leading us, teaching us to find comfort in the help of the Lord. So think about, think about your own life. Be willing to be honest with yourself, I think. We have to do this. When the pressures of life come, where do you turn to for comfort? What do you run to for comfort? Do you go to other people, to a relationship, to entertainment, to food, to drugs, to alcohol, to shopping, to pornography, to just productivity and work, to exercise? Like there's all these things and there's more. Where do you run for comfort when the pressure comes? And notice some of those things are good things. Some are not, right? Here's the point. But if we turn to anything other than Jesus for comfort and help, it will eventually fail us and leave us empty. When life is shaken and everything is stripped away, none of these things will be enough. Only Christ will be enough. That's what David is communicating to us here. God, you're my comfort. You're my help. When everything falls apart, when everything's taken away, in the waiting, in the trials, find comfort in the help of the Lord. When everything is shaken, be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. I want to look at two ways to make this practical. These are not rocket science, but, okay? And they are this, tell yourself and tell others. I want to make it practical this way. So the first one, tell yourself, is this. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. We have spiritual amnesia, right? You ever watch one of those old 80s sitcoms and somebody hits their head and they forget everything and then by the end of the sitcom, they hit their head again and they remember everything? I don't know how that works. I don't think that's actual neuroscience, right? But we have spiritual amnesia. We forget the goodness of God. We need to, as we read Scripture, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves and say, hey, James, remember, God is faithful. James, remember, He is where you find your comfort and your help. Let's look at the end of this psalm again. Verses 13 and 14 really kind of bring all of this together. They are a declaration of hope and courage. And it says, David says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Verse 13 says, I believe that I, would have, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Um, strangely, some translations translate that more as, more as if I had not believed, I would have lost hope. So, but here it says, I believe that I shall look upon the Lord. But we can imagine it's kind of the inverse of like, had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have lost hope. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if it, if it had not been for David's faith in God, he would have lost heart. He's telling us that. I, I would have given up. What does that mean, to look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? It means that we experience God's gracious character right where life happens. In your home, your neighborhood, in our city, 
the land of the living. The, land of the, like the Bible uses this phrase over and over in different ways in different places. It just literally means the place where life happens, the arena of life. It means when I walk my kids to school. It means when you go to work. It means when you're at home. It means when you're waiting in line, whatever it is. But we experience the goodness of God. What hope that God is with us in the middle of our lives, that we have this great and precious promise to see his goodness right here, right now. It's not abstract or far off. It is God revealing himself to us. And David said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We need to tell ourselves that as we go through our lives, say, God, I'm going to see your goodness right here in my life, in my actual life. I will see your goodness. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Waiting can be defined as to live in continued confidence on God. It's resting in the Lord. Have you ever laid in a hammock, right? Hammocks are really kind of awkward to get into and out of, right? If you've ever been in a hammock, but, but think about a hammock. When you lay in a hammock, you are completely resting, putting the, your full weight on the hammock and trusting that it's going to hold you, right? This is this idea of waiting, of trusting, that waiting is trust. It's resting in the Lord. That the full weight of our life is resting on Him and not on us. It's hard to talk about what it means to wait on the Lord because, again, we like to say, well, I need to check things off. And yet waiting on the Lord is this continual day after day. God, I don't know the answers today, but I trust you. And I pursue your presence and I wait and I, and I listen. I don't know when, I don't know what's going to happen, but God, you're my hope. You're my life. So whatever you're facing today, Whatever you're going through, be encouraged. I hope this sermon, I hope we can walk away just encouraged to hear what David is, like David is showing us like, hey, everything's bad, but God is faithful, right? Be encouraged. The Lord is your help and your strength. We will see his goodness in the ordinary stuff of life. This is good news that we have a hope that is greater than this world that we live in. Tell this to yourself. Remind yourself of it often. That's what I mean by talk to yourself. Tell yourself. Don't get stuck in, okay, all this stuff that's going on around me, but God, you're gonna, I'm going to see your goodness. God, help me trust you. So tell yourself. Secondly, tell others. Like this is a message of hope that we can share with others. And so think about even this Christmas season, how can you share this hope with others? It doesn't mean that we have to put on a fake smile and act like everything is wonderful. But it means that when everything is shaken, when we, we, we find our strength and courage in the Lord, we live with joy and peace when it doesn't make sense to the people around us. And as we interact with others, we can say, hey, I have peace, I have joy right now because of Jesus there's hope in this. There is a way to find hope that when all the pressure of life comes against us, there is a way to find security and safety in Christ. We can share this with others. So I would encourage you, who can you be praying for this Christmas season? Who can you seek to encourage? Who can you send a text to or call or set up a video call and say, hey, how are you? 
How can I encourage you? Who can you be praying for? Who can you share the greatest news of all with? The gospel. You think about the people, the neighbors that live around you, the people that you see in the hallway, the people you see on the sidewalk, the people you see at the depth when you go to the depth, or whatever it is. Who are the people that, and it's tricky right now, right? We normally would say, hey, come over, let's have dinner, let's go hang out. We can't do that as much right now, but we say, I just, first of all, I want to pray for the people around me. Second of all, God, would you open doors, open opportunities, ask him, ask God to open doors for you to share hope, to share the good news of Jesus with other people that we have. This psalm shows us, it is a glimpse of the gospel because it shows us that we have something good to share. Because most, the normal, more normal path of life is the enemies, the pressure, all these things come and we lose hope and we give up and we despair and we say, okay, well, I'm just going to make the best of it. But that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is we have hope in him. We know that life is hard. Life is, life is fragile. Life is unstable. But through Jesus, we have found a hope and a peace that can't be taken away. This is good news to be shared with those around you. As we close this morning, here's my, I guess, fear about this sermon as I was preparing it. My fear is that we will miss just how practical it really is, right? I, I like when things are practical. Like, I like when it's like, okay, yes, I, this is, God's Word shows us this. This is what we should do. And yet, we look at this and we can miss how practical it is because it's like, okay, wait, find confidence, find help, find comfort. It's my fear that we'll miss that. I don't have it figured out, but I'm learning it, that it is a literal, everyday acknowledging, God, you are my comfort and my strength. And it is practical when we stop and we say, you know what, I'm going to remind myself of who God is, that he is bigger than this situation. He is over all the things in my life. And it changes our perspective. Because this psalm, Psalm 27, speaks to us today right where we are. And as we see how it connects with Advent, that Advent reminds us of how God's people waited and waited, and they waited for God to fulfill His promises, and many doubted, and many questioned God, and we are tempted to do this as well. That deep in our hearts, we say, God, where are you? Why is this so hard? When will things change? And maybe this is where you are today. But hear this. If everything is lost, if everything is against you, put your hope in the Lord. Because you're not going to find comfort. You're not going to find hope anywhere else. As we prepare for Christmas, we see the goodness of God. David said, I'll see the goodness of God. We see it most fully through the fact that he sent his son Jesus, God, with us. So we, like, the goodness of God is not just this like, kind of thing floating out there like, oh, he's so good and loving. No, it is real that he stepped out of heaven. He stepped into time. Jesus took on flesh. This is the goodness of God made real to us. The goodness of God is that he loved us enough that through Jesus we can have relationship with God. This is the good news, but we have to understand it. We have to understand. I read something this week from, I don't remember who said it, so I'm going to 
quote someone that I don't remember, but that's okay. Like, it's this, that Christmas, we have to understand something about Christmas. Christmas is necessary because of our sin. Why does is, why is Christmas exist? Why does, it's because Jesus came to rescue us out of our sin. So the, the first part of understanding Christmas is recognizing that it's necessary because we are sinful, broken people. We have to acknowledge, God, I am, with, because of our sin, we are separated from God. But God in his love and his goodness sent Jesus, and Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life so that broken, sinful people like you and I, we put our faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the only way that I can come into relationship with God. We put our faith in him and we turn away from our sin. We are forgiven. We are made new and we experience the goodness of God in our lives, the love that he has for us. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that where I'm finding my hope? Is that what I'm running to for comfort? Is that the stronghold of my life? Or am I running to other things to say, okay, that makes me feel okay. Okay, I think that's good. That makes sense. You know, we kind of put together these intellectual things or whatever. And yet the Bible is showing us that through Jesus and through Jesus alone can we come into relationship with God. But the even better news is it's not something we have to earn. It's not something we have to just say, okay, I'll just kind of grit my teeth and work really hard and be good and God will love me. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you, not because of you, but because of Jesus. We are acceptable to God because Jesus gave his life to pay for our sin. When everything is shaken, be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. We're going to continue in worship this morning. Continue thinking about this and singing about this of where we find our hope. But I would invite you this morning, wrestle through that. It sometimes requires that, that own just personal thinking and wrestling and asking God. Ask God to search your heart. When the pressure comes, am I, where am I trying to find my comfort? Am I trying to fix it on my own? Am I trying to... Um, run from it? Am I trying to kind of mask over it with something else? Am I trying to just make things feel better? Or are you running to the Lord? Or maybe this morning, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to surrender and say, God, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And I need to put my faith in him and surrender. And if that's you, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. This morning, as we continue to worship, think about these, these, these words and, and think about, okay, the pressure of life and all these things. But in the middle of that, be encouraged today. That's what the Scripture says. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage and wait for the Lord. And what is the assumption that David is writing there? The assumption is that God is faithful. God keeps His promises. Let's pray together.